Well, if I was to uh, make a list, I think I would include people like uh, Abraham, David, Moses, Paul. Might throw Da Vinci on there and Luther and Calvin. Probably put uh, Lincoln, Washington, Adams, um, Lee. Might throw in Roosevelt, Eisenhower, uh, DeBakey. Uh, let's see, Edison, got to put him on the list, mm, Eric Little, uh, Unitas, and Bright. That's a small list of great people in human history. You might recognize some on that list, you might not have recognized every one of them. You, you might have your own list. You probably have some of those names you agree with and some you maybe wouldn't agree with. But whatever your criteria for great people in human history. Do you know all of those people have one thing in common today? They're all dead. Every one of them. And the great people of today are going to join them. They all die. And we're here today to celebrate the life of a great man who also died, but unlike all the other great people of human history, he lives. He rose again. Do you believe that? Mark tells the story like this at the end of his gospel in Mark chapter 16. He says, when, Sabbath, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, but he's been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment had overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who'd been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. Then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who saw Him after He'd been resurrected. Then He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole of creation. Jesus rebuked. That's a strong word, isn't it? Jesus rebuked their unbelief. You know, if I'm there that day, if I'm one of the 11, I, I might protest a little bit. I might say, you know, come on, Lord, how do we believe something like this? How, how do we believe
believe this. I, I, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, people going in the grave and coming out a whole bunch. Do you see that a bunch? I mean, have you noticed when people go in the grave, they tend to stay there? Not, not most of the time, not a lot of the time, 100% of the time. Now, the people who were coming and telling the disciples this were friends. People they loved and, and people they trusted, and yet they did not believe what they were saying. Would you? You know, I, I, I trust my, my wife and, and my friends. I'd like to think if they were telling me something, I'd believe it. But you know, if my wife and I went to a, uh, a funeral, we, we went to the funeral, the service, we, we saw the person buried and tombed and, and we left. You know, what, what would I do if three days later my wife calls me and says, Hey, I'm not going to believe who I saw at Walmart today. What are you going to do? I trust my wife, but... Man, I just, I've got no evidence, I've got no experience to be able to get my arms around a statement like that. How do you believe that? I mean, folks, we're not talking about a near-death experience. We're not talking about Jesus dying on the operating table and then a, a, few, a few moments later he, he comes back to life. Man, we're talking about dead dead. We're, we're talking about funeral dead. How do you believe that he could be alive? Well, they didn't, did they? They didn't believe it. I would imagine some of that has to do with, with just the image of Friday still burned in their brain, still so fresh in their mind. And we think of Jesus dying on the cross, but man, they'd seen Him come out of the scourging. He was practically dead after that. I mean, they had removed the skin off of His back and His legs, and He'd undergone severe Tremendous amounts of blood loss. He was severely dehydrated. His, his body had undergone great trauma. As a matter of fact, if you'd have just left him alone, he probably would have died within the next 24 hours. And yet they did take him and hang him on the cross. You know, they nailed his hands and his feet there to the cross. And the scripture says that he died on the cross. That he died there to pay the, the penalty of your sins and my sins. Well, that's a big thought, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it's a lot to unwrap. We, we might wonder, now, now, now what is that supposed to mean? How did that happen? Why is it that way? Why did God do it that way? And can that still have some kind of impact for me? Am I supposed to believe somebody died on a cross 2,000 years ago and, and that somehow affects my life today? Yeah, there's a lot to understand in that. But I tell you, there's a real simple way to cut through all the questions. God said it. God is the one who said, regardless of what I'm able to understand, He said that His Son died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And if we will place our faith, our confidence, our trust in that alone, we can be rescued. We can be saved from, from sin and death and hell. And you know, really every person on this planet comes down to what they do with that historical event. What they do with that truth. They either accept it and are saved or they reject it. And they go into a godless eternity in hell. Jesus is on the cross. He gave up His life there. The Romans who were around Him, they're, they're professionals. Professionals at making sure people are dead. 
Now, you know, Jesus is up on the cross, so the, the Roman guard would be down below him. And, and to make sure that he is dead, he takes a spear and he runs it up through his lungs and into his heart like this. Now, that, that alone would have killed him, right? I mean, whether we're talking about the spear, whether we're talking about the cross, whether we're talking about the scourging, man, he's dead. And that's what those disciples were eyewitnesses to. That's what they were watching and it wasn't just Jesus who died on the cross. I think in an essence it was their very own lives. And they had bet the farm on this guy. They believed a great deal about him and they followed him for three years and had great hopes, great expectations of what that was going to be. And now he's dead. I mean, what are they supposed to do now? Will the Jewish leaders be coming after them? Will the Romans be coming after them? Man, they are scared and they are in hiding when these crazy stories start. The Scripture tells us that these ladies went to the tomb. They're not going there to see the resurrected Christ. They're going there to, to do what you do for a dead body. You see, that by the time they got Jesus off the cross and, and got Him to the tomb, it had moved into early Friday evening and the Sabbath had begun. The Sabbath ran from Friday evening to, to Saturday evening, and by Sabbath laws, they, they couldn't do what they needed to do for the body. So they had to, to leave him there in that moment, and then it says in the text, they came back early, early Sunday morning. You know why? Because there's a, there's a decomposing body. I mean, time is of the essence. This goes pretty quickly. And so they need to get there. They need to, to take care of that body. And they've brought the stuff with them, the stuff you use on a dead body. But they get there and there's no body. <laughs> you get, they get there and the, the stone has been rolled away. Now, if you're with them, if you're one of those ladies, what do you think? Do you walk up and say, oh, gosh, man, Jesus is alive. No, that's, that's not what you would assume. You, you might look around and see if you're at the right tomb. You'd wonder, did somebody take the body? Did they move the body somewhere else? Has somebody stolen the body? You might have a lot of different thoughts. Jesus being alive wouldn't be one of them. That thought's not going into your mind unless, well, unless it's planted there by heaven. And that's exactly what heaven does, doesn't it? God sends an angel to announce to these ladies exactly what's happened to the body. Jesus is alive. And the passage says that the, the, lady, the ladies leave in, in wonder and astonishment and in fear. You know, that part I get. Now, that part I can understand. That probably would do it for me also. Now, now Mark kind of runs through the story pretty quickly here at this point. But if you go to some of the other gospel accounts, it appears... That, I mean, there's three ladies there. It appears that as they leave, they go in two separate directions. Mary Magdalene goes one way and, and the other two ladies go another way. I don't, I don't know why, but that appears to be what they did. And, and Mary Magdalene is now alone and it's at this moment that, that Jesus appears to her. Man, think of how that changes her announcement. She's on her way to the disciples to tell them what had happened. Now, prior to the seeing Jesus, you know, she's going to go in there and say, man, y'all aren't going to believe this. His body's gone. I, I don't know what happened to it, but it's gone. And there was, a, there was an angel there. I, I, I think it was an angel. I, I don't think I was dreaming. And she's going to be trying to explain all this. But now she's seen Jesus. Man, he's alive. 
And it's going to be with that kind of energy, that kind of passion and excitement that she's going to be delivering this news to the disciples. You know, interesting thing here in this story, a little tidbit of interesting history that happens to be one of the proofs that there's no way this story has been made up. Because at this time in the Jewish culture, at this time in Jewish history, a woman could not serve as a legal eyewitness. Her, her testimony wouldn't be accepted into the court record, if you will. Nobody's going to hear that. And so if I am making up this story about Jesus being live, if, there, if there's a group of us that said, man, th think of what we could do if, if we could get everybody to believe that Jesus is resurrected. Man, we need to write this story down, make everybody believe it. If I'm making this up, there's no way I'm going to have a woman as the first eyewitness to his resurrection. There's no way I'm going to have a woman be the one running to the disciples and trying to convince them that Jesus is alive. Quite possibly, I wouldn't even include women in the story. So why do all four gospel accounts include them? Because it's the way it happened. It's the truth. Mary was the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the angel sends them away. Sends them back to the disciples. And she says, tell the disciples and Peter. Why single Peter out? He's one of the disciples. He's with them. You don't need to say the disciples and, but, but he did. Why does the angel want especially, or maybe even why does God want especially Peter to hear this news? I know you're familiar with the story. If you'll travel back a couple days in the story, in the narrative, you know where we last saw Peter. Last time we saw Peter, he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. One of the gospel accounts seems to, to describe that third denial that Jesus was basically within earshot. That, that Jesus and Peter actually locked eyes. And when Peter realized that he had denied him three times, when he realized that Jesus was watching and listening and, and seeing that happen, it says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Why? Utterly consumed with guilt. Utterly overwhelmed with his failure. How could he ever stand before God now? Peter had said he believed Jesus was the Messiah. How's he going to stand before God? How could he ever look at Jesus again? Some of you in here, you know how he feels. You, you, you feel like your life is so bad. You feel like you have so messed things up. How could God ever love or accept somebody like you? And yet, hear what the angel saying. My friend, you are not beyond the news of the resurrection. You are the very one that God wants to hear the news. You're the very one that God wants to know. Jesus is alive. He is alive for you. He is alive for you. So the ladies go and catch up with the disciples and they tell them all they've seen. And you heard what I read. It says very clearly they didn't believe him. 
But it wasn't just their testimony. We know there was two other disciples, not two of the eleven, just two of the other followers of Christ that, that also were eyewitnesses to His resurrection. And they came in and they shared what they saw. And it says again, they didn't believe Him. You know, I had a thought, a question, studying this for, for this Easter that I don't think I'd ever thought before. Simple question. I wonder why Jesus didn't appear to the eleven first. Weren't they his buds? Weren't they his close friends? Seems, I mean, they're the ones who gave up three years of life. Seems like he'd have showed up with them first. Why does he appear to these others? Could it be that he's testing the eleven? Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. That's exactly what he's doing. As a matter of fact, from Genesis to Revelation, over and over and over again in Scripture, it says God is going to test what we really believe. He's going to test our faith. He'll, he'll use events. He'll use circumstances and situations. He might use the, the timing of something to test what we believe. And Jesus clearly here is testing the disciples. And they failed, didn't they? They failed. And in verse 14, it says that Jesus rebuked. Man, it seems like he'd have come into the room and, you know, surprise! Hey, look at this! Do you expect this? I'm the man! No, none of, none of that. No, he comes in and I, and I think maybe if I was kind of imagining what this moment would have been like, I, I don't think I would have used the word rebuke. I don't think I would have imagined Jesus coming in and his first words to rebuke their unbelief. And again, I'm back at that spot where I'm saying, guys, Lord, come on, give me a break. How, how do I believe something like this? Guys, Lord, it's almost like you're you're expecting us to believe in the resurrection. Wait a minute. Yeah. Mark, chapter eight, verse 31, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. Mark chapter 9, verse 31, For He was teaching His disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill Him, and after He is killed, He will rise three days later. Mark chapter 10, verse 33, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death. Then they will hand Him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock Him, spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him, and He will rise after three days. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will run away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Wow, folks. Mark recorded actually four different times that Jesus had given detail by detail of what was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem, including the resurrection. They absolutely should have been expecting it. Man, they should have been sitting there by Sunday thinking, now wait a minute, Jesus said this was going to happen and it did. Jesus said this was going to happen and it did. Jesus said this was going to happen and it did. Jesus said this was going to happen and it did. We might ought to get down to the tomb. It's time for a resurrection. 
He had detailed it for them blow by blow. But they didn't believe him. Instead, they chose to live in fear and to hide. Now, folks, I think what God is doing in this passage, I think he's reaching out into the future to talk to believers. You know, a lot of times when we think about Easter and the resurrection and the gospel, we're kind of thinking about, okay, a a, a person's a believer or they're an unbeliever. You know, the unbeliever says, that's the silliest story I've ever heard. Somebody's supposed to die and it pays for my sin. That's crazy. Well, I don't I don't believe there is a son of God. I don't believe there is a God. They reject all of this. They don't believe it. They're an unbeliever. And the scripture clearly says they will die in their sins. They will go to hell and live eternally separated from God. But then the the only other option is I'm a believer. I I believe in all of that. And and so I'm a child of God and and I've been forgiven of my sins and I will go to heaven. There's just these two groups. But I think what God is doing here is he's reaching down into the future to all of us who will call ourselves believers. Most of us in here are probably believers. It might be some unbelievers. You know, you're you're here today to, you know, to kind of go along. Don't want to cause a stir in the family. You know, it's traditional. I'll I'll do that. Keep peace. You don't really buy this. You don't believe that. That's probably not most of us. Most of us would say, yeah, I'm I'm a believer in this. But you know, the disciples are believers, aren't they? As a matter of fact, you and I would actually, well, we'd say they're saints. They're saints. These These are religious men. These are devoutly religious men. We, we probably wouldn't even put ourselves in their category. I mean, they, they gave up three years of their lives to follow Jesus because they believed in Him. But you know what? They weren't believers. They were followers and believers of Christ, but they weren't believers. Wait a minute, Pastor, time out. You must be confused after this being your third service. You're contradicting yourself. You can't call them both believers and unbelievers. They can't, they can't be both at the same time. That's a contradiction. Yeah, I think that's what Jesus thought too. You see, folks, I don't think Jesus is at all impressed with our religiosity. I don't think He's impressed with our beliefs, especially when our beliefs have no impact on our attitudes, our outlook, our actions, when our beliefs have no impact on who and what we are. Folks, the the disciples would be called believers, but at this moment right here, their belief, do you see it? It's absolutely worthless. And that's why Jesus rebukes them. Man, they should have had beliefs that, that filled them with hope and excitement, anticipation. They were filled with fear. Their beliefs should have led them to camp out at the tomb. Their beliefs should have led them out into the world announcing good news. But their beliefs only left them hiding. What about your beliefs? We're here today. We're a a group of people who say we believe. But what what is the meaning of our belief? What is our belief doing? You know, folks, Jesus being alive changes everything. 
Think about it. I rattled off a group of people I thought were great people in human history. Some would put Jesus in that category. Yeah, Jesus is a a great prophet, a a great teacher. He's a, a great person in human history. But you know what? If he's dead, that really changes what I have to do with his life and words, doesn't it? I mean, if he's dead, I, I might I, I might study his life. He lived a good life. I might study his words and find inspiration and encouragement, maybe some direction from him. You know, I actually like reading biographies. I like reading history. I read a lot of biographies on the presidents and, and other great people in history. And you know what? I, I, I get inspired sometimes. Sometimes I think, man, that, look at this, this habit in their lives. I'd like to live more like that. I'd like to be more like that. But you know what? When I'm done with that book, I'm done with it. I mean, they're dead. Great person, but they're dead. I can take it or leave it. And if Jesus is dead, I can do the same thing with his life and his words. But if he's alive, do you see all of a sudden? Take it and leave it isn't an option. If he's alive, all of a sudden, Jesus' words become the very words of God. This book that he said is the words of God all of a sudden becomes the sole definer of my understanding about life and God. This is no longer a book I can take or leave. It's a book I have to respond to. If Jesus is alive, that's very different than if he's dead and he says, I'm the way to God. If he's a great person in human history and he says, I'm the way to God, you know, I say, yeah, Jesus has great line up over there with the others. And we've got a lot of people who've said they have special knowledge of God, special access of God. So Jesus, just go over there and get in line with uh, Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad. Just get in line with the rest. And you know what? Maybe one day I'll study them. Maybe one day I'll look at what they're saying and see if they have any, you know, if they really do have any special knowledge. Maybe they do have some kind of insight to the truth. Maybe, maybe one day I'll take a, I'll take a comparative religions class. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? But you know what? If Jesus is alive, (laughs) that kind of separates him from the group, doesn't it? If Jesus is alive, I don't need to do a whole lot of studying. They're all dead. I'm going to go with the guy who's alive. That's working for me. Does that make sense? Folks, Jesus being alive changes everything. And that means when we say we believe in him, nothing can ever be the same again. It's a belief that is not an adherence to some kind of moral code or some events in history. It's a belief that instructs and guides how we live every single day. So here we are today. We've made an announcement. Jesus is alive. We we call ourselves a group of believers. But you know, as I walk through Jesus' words and as I walk through the New Testament, it's very clear there is a Belief that is applauded and awarded. And there is a belief that is condemned and rebuked. We just saw an example. I can't help but think that God wants us to stop and look inside ourselves and say, gosh, which belief do I have? Do I have a growing belief that is going to be awarded or do I have a a belief that's just going to be rebuked? It's just empty religion. You know, it's interesting, a lot of us are here today out of, and I don't, I don't mean this in a negative sense, we're here out of a sense of duty. I mean, it's Easter. I mean, I'm a believer. You, 
I'm going on Easter. Yeah, I might, you know, next week I might be tired, might be some different things going on. I might not be able to make it next week. But, but today, I mean, I, you know, you make it today. There, there's a sense of duty and obligation. You know what's interesting? The New Testament doesn't say a single word about what we're to do with today. You probably know that if you'll stop and think about what you've read in the New Testament. But, but this thing that we call Holy Week, nothing about it in the New Testament. There's no commands, there's no prescription on what we're to do with a Monday, Thursday, or a Good Friday, or a, a Holy Sunday, an Easter Sunday. The, the Scripture doesn't send us in any directions on what we're supposed to do with today. Might have just cut Easter attendance in half for next year. No, Jesus has no commands on what you do on Easter Sunday. But boy, he says a lot over and over and over and over about this one thing. Belief. And the belief he's talking about affects every day you live. So is yours a belief that is going to be rewarded? Or is yours a belief that might be rebuked? Let's pray. Jesus, we have gathered here today because we, we believe and we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate that, that you're alive. And so we've, we've come into your house today and we've sung the songs and we've listened. And God, we pray you're honored and blessed by it. Lord, in this moment, though, may we take a cue from your word. In this moment, Holy Spirit, will you give us each wisdom and discernment to look into our own heart and life right now? And to really see what kind of belief is there. Is it a real belief? Is it a belief that guides and directs how I deal with hurt? Is it a belief that guides and directs how I handle disappointment? Is it a belief that is bigger than my, my good times and my victories? Is it a belief that defines who I am? Or is it a belief that has really no impact on what I think or say or do? God, I pray that not only do we have the discernment to see what kind of belief we have, pray we also have the wisdom to see the enormity of this moment. To see the enormity of understanding what kind of belief we have because all of life is going to be defined on it. Our eternal destiny is going to be defined on it. God, we want to get this right and we ask for your help. Guide us into the truth right now and show us how we're to respond. Because we do want to celebrate you. We do want to celebrate your resurrection. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.